Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles, and this week I am just back from a convention in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where we were talking a lot about AI, art, craft, writing, uh, talked a fair amount about some of the different types of writing, publication, markets, things like this. And on Saturday night, I had the privilege of uh, hosting and moderating a panel with John Hartness of Falstaff Books and the one and only John Scalzi, where we dove in and talked about professional writing organizations. And I will tell you, there's nothing like having a party like that at nine o'clock on a Saturday night. And we had a lot of really interesting things come out of the conversation. Um, yeah, when you start talking about writing and organizations and, and how a lot of the industry works, it can get kind of dry, right? It can get a little boring in trying to go in and talk about what does it mean? Well, we actually had a pretty, pretty fun and engaging conversation um, because we were looking at what are the benefits of organizations? What kinds of different organizations are out there? How do they work? What are the benefits of them? And even what are some of the challenges about being a member and working with these organizations? So, uh, of course, John Scalzi is um, creator of the Old Man's War series, as well as a lot of the other modern science fiction, and is a former president of CIFWA. And so when we talked about organizations like CIFWA, Science Fiction Writers of America, or the HWA, the Horror Writers of America, uh, we even talked about RWA and the Romance Writers of America. These kinds of organizations that bring a lot to their members, they bring organization, they bring continuing education, they bring a lot of resources. And we compare these against other things like, for example, Ally, the, uh, the Alliance of Independent Authors and some of the others that are much more about creating communities that are much more referential. They do continuing education, they provide services, they provide discounts. But we talked about kind of this difference between ones that are really about pay your membership fee, join them, get the benefits versus ones that have specific requirements. So, for example, if you're going to be a member for CIFWA, and over the years, these requirements have changed a lot, but there are specific requirements to be a member of CIFWA that basically set a professional standard. Uh, comparing this against, for example, Ally, some of the others that are geared towards helping get writers to that professional standard and then providing services and benefits to people of that professional standard. One of the first questions I came in and said was, well, what, do, what does it mean to be a professional? And that is a large key to the driver behind this show. The things I like to dive into and talk about are the business of it. But really, what does it mean to be a pro? What does it mean to be a professional? And diving in, that was one of the things I, that I asked both of them. And Hartness and I frequently have had debates about this over the years. And I've had the pleasure of talking to, to John Scalzio about this a, a few times over the years as well. And really, it boils down to not necessarily it's how you make your living. It's not even necessarily how you make most of your living necessarily. But it's one of those things where you're working on developing your craft. It's one of those things where you are working towards producing things of a particular quality. You want to be part of the commercial markets. You want to approach this 
like a business. You want to approach this like a real career. It's not just necessarily a hobby. And even with a hobby, you can treat things very professionally. It's about it's about the attitude. It's about the approach. And it's about what you're doing to invest in and improving it. And comparing that again to other things where there's other organizations, other memberships, where necessarily they don't have the same level of membership requirements. And talking about the growth progression. In other words, I may join Ally because I want to get certain benefits from some of the vendors they work with. I want to be able to part of, be a part of that community where I can get access to resources, I can get access to discounts, I can get access to promotional opportunities. Then coming to think something like CIFOR or HWA, where it is much more about you're part of a much smaller community, but you're part of a community of people that are doing, developing, and working towards creating a certain level of professionalism and professional products. So dive into a little bit about the benefit of just most of these organizations, first of all. Um, you know, one of the biggest benefits you get out of belonging to any of these organizations is access to the members, access to network, access to build relationships with people. And I mean, real meaningful relationships. It means you get to meet people that maybe you've read, maybe people you've never gotten a chance to meet. But the networking opportunities are huge. And at, like any organization, being a member of one of these is you get out of it exactly what you put into it. And as in many ways, where some of these things are much more commercial, other organizations really are not-for-profits, right? They're there for the benefits and the support of their members. And this is one of those things that becomes key is the idea of, is it for-profit, which is not necessarily a bad thing? Or is it a not-for-profit really driving for the members? And this is one of those things to look at. Another huge benefit out of these kinds of organizations are the kinds of educational programs that they offer. Uh, for example, um, you know, CIFWA does offer a lot of continuing education programs, both to their members and to non-members. They've got several tiers, several levels. They've got the ability to join as an affiliate as well as a full member. But even so, there are events, conventions, uh, programs that they offer online and support online, not necessarily all for members. A lot of it are resources and things that they create to create engagement, to create education for how the business works or how craft works and create this so that they can bring in and build a much stronger community. The Romance Writers of America, the RWA, used to be the biggest writers organization out there. Um, it did a lot of work in terms of supporting writers. It provided a tremendous amount of educational opportunities. I taught a lot for different RWA chapters. And I'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that we, we mentioned and, and dove into with the RWA and some of the challenges it has today. But joining these kinds of opportunities, these kinds of organizations, means you have an opportunity to access resources, training, community, and education. And another big benefit out of these are, for example, a lot of the time, these organizations have large piles of resources that are available both to members and in some cases, non-members. For example, CIFWA has a large repository of information on contracts. How do contracts work? How does publishing work? How do... Um, 
many of these sorts of things happen. For example, I was one of the contributors to the uh, legacy kit for CIFWA, which is an access kit that helps you build out a repository so that you know what your intellectual property is. You've got something that allows you to manage contracts. It allows you to manage, for example, let's say somebody comes in and offers you a, con a movie contract, a book contract, um, you know, audiobooks, things like this. Well, it lets you manage that catalog in a way that it's faster and easier to sign and get contracts and show the value of it. And one of the parts of the legacy kit is also that idea of how you can go and maintain and manage that IP in terms of an estate so that when you eventually do pass on, your heirs have the ability to manage and control your IP and do so in a way that's appropriate to whatever your work has been. So there's a lot of resources out there that are available across different organizations. And so one of the things that we did talk about was the idea of when you get into an industry, when you get into a business, joining the professional organizations around that are a really solid way of, again, learning how the business works, learning who the players are in the business, learning who and how to network. You know, I belong to and have belonged to a lot of different professional organizations over the years, writing, technology, business, plethora of other organizations. And again, this is one of those things where you get out of them what you bring to them. One of the questions I opened up and asked was the idea of, well, for example, with CIFWA, with the HWA, with organizations like this that have very specific criteria about being able to join. For example, um, CIFWA's criteria to join as a full member really are not that strong. I mean, it really is fairly simple and straightforward now, where really all you need to do is have $1,000 worth of provable sales in the science fiction or in the general genre of fiction. And as a member, what does that mean? I mean, why would I even worry about having those sales? Well, is that a little bit of a gatekeeper activity? And the answer is yes. The reason being is that the society exists to promote those people that are operating at a certain minimum level as writers. It's not necessarily a gatekeeper activity, It's, but it is one of those things that's meant to say, we want people that are active in the genre. We want people that are producing work and doing things. And because again, it's also a volunteer organization. While CIFWA does have those people that are paid staff, for the vast majority of it, it is people that are volunteering their time to make sure that the organization can do and deliver on its objectives and to make sure that it is an ongoing operation. Because again, it's a not-for-profit. It's, it's there for the benefit of its members. Now, the RWA, again, as I mentioned, was, was a very large and powerful, powerful organization. Unfortunately, they had a bit of a meltdown a few years ago. They're no, no longer anywhere near as strong as they were. There are still some, some extremely strong chapters, and the national organization still has a degree of power. I mean, for example, there are some RWA chapters that probably have as many members as the entirety of CIFWA. And looking at that kind of collective power, that kind of collective budget, um, the RWA was able to do certain things in the past, for example, deal with a lot of piracy. They dealt with uh, some of the things where we saw, saw trademarking issues around something called cocky gate. If you want to look into something that's a really interesting case and one of those things that 
occasionally still things like this come up. It's an interesting case study in how people try to game the system and how the system is designed to help defend itself. So looking at these kinds of organizations, when issues arise, then it is the collective power of organizations like this. Uh, for example, um, a number of years ago, when a lot of the ebook and audiobook and these kinds of rights things were coming out and becoming a lot more popular and a lot more powerful. Well, one of the benefits of being a member of one of these organizations and part of the power of these organizations is that they give its members a degree of collective power. Because, for example, if CIFWA comes in and says to a particular publisher, yeah, you're no longer on our approved list, uh, list of CIFWA man managed publishers. What this means is they're no longer meeting a certain kind of criteria that as a publisher, they're necessarily recommending and saying that we want people to submit work to you because it used to be very much uh, a, 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 if you wanted to get in solid quality work by saying, yes, I'm a CIFWA member was one of those things that could help get you into a traditional publisher. And it was also a way of, if you were on that list as a traditional publisher, help make sure you got some of your earliest shots at getting solid quality work. And to be told that you may be removed from that list is one of those things that allows the members, writers, creators, people in the business to walk in and say, no, um, some of the business activities, some of the business practices you're going through no longer meet the standards of what we consider to be a fair industry. When we look at things like right now, like we have, for example, both the writer's strike going on and we have the, uh, the actor's strike going on at the moment. I have a lot of internal conflict in many ways about how unions work, the power of them and how and when they get used. Um, but when we look at the fact that most creators are in a large extent freelancers. The power of the individual freelancer is, is very limited. Belonging to these kinds of organizations gives a degree of influence, power, and it also helps you understand what's happening in the business and the industry. For example, one of the big things that's coming out, and I had a conversation with a friend of mine that works in the, the film industry this weekend. He's currently sitting sidelined. He's basically talking about having to go deliver, you know, do car shares, uh, deliver, do whatever it is to take, keep himself going while the strike is going on. Because during the film industry, everything is shut down. I've got a number of big events that are coming up that typically would have a lot of actors, a lot of people from the film business at them. And as long as the strike goes on, those people are not going to be able to really make appearances. You know, we think of actors as, you know, making large paychecks, but the truth is most actors, most people in the entertainment industry don't make that great of money. It takes a lot to break through and it takes a lot of luck to get there to be one of those people that really makes the significant paychecks. So you have to consider for every show that's shut down right now, A, every one of them is at risk for show being canceled. We, the last time we had a writer's strike, the last time we saw this go on, we saw a lot of shows die because they didn't have the film work. They didn't have the actors. They fundamentally didn't have the programming and anything that was kind of on the bubble. It was easy to kill them. And 
a couple of things that we see going on right now it really make this 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 trial really worthwhile when we look at it from a writer perspective um there's been a lot of things going on around streaming and the ability to pay residuals to writers um streaming is one of those places that is a big challenge to this day much like in the earlier days writers used to not get residuals uh from for writing for tv shows actors didn't either that was one of the changes that came about Right now, one of the biggest hits in the film industry, in the entertainment industry, that everyone is arguing about is that the film industry has come in and said that if you've ever been an extra, if you've ever been a likeness on film, we can now just take you, scan you, and turn you into a virtual avatar, and we don't ever have to pay for an extra again. This is really problematic because, number one, most extras barely make minimum wage. If you see somebody in the background of a show, a lot of the time that's people that are there. Um, they just want to be on film or they're trying to break in the industry. There's a lot of reasons people do extras work. I have a lot of friends that do extras work as a part of supplementing their acting careers. And the knowledge that you could have somebody in the background and then all of a sudden we don't need extras anymore. Is it a nominal cost savings for productions? Absolutely. But the idea that somebody could now take my likeness and say, yeah, we now own your likeness, you don't, is a big challenge. If we look at things that came down and went went through, for example, when Disney acquired certain catalogs, for a period of time, they tried not to pay the writers for the catalogs they acquired because they said, no, no, we bought those. We don't have to pay those royalties anymore according to the contract. It actually took organizations like CIFWA coming out and saying, no, no. You bought it, but they're still under contract. You still license their IP. Even if it was work for hire, you have to go by the original contract. And it is the power of organizations like this that while you may not get into a full-blown legal battle with Disney or something like that, you can come and highlight to those kinds of organizations that, no, no, you really still do have to act ethically. So it was a really interesting and fascinating conversation this weekend. I wanted to share some of the highlights of this, talk a little bit about the idea of professional organizations and say, depending on what business you're in, what you're wanting to get into, make sure you do look in the professional organizations that are in your space. Look and see kind of how you can support them and how they can benefit you, how you can become part of that community, and ultimately how you can continue to grow your business. Until next week, this has been Creating Pros, and I'm your host, Jim Nettles, and we'll see you again soon.